0: Let's say an individual signs on with an organization, they're intent on nurturing a, a solid culture, and they're willing to invest in that individual, I would say the individual then has some accountability to better themselves. I like that like, you know conversation with chefs and with managers and directors a lot of times and saying, okay, so the organization's investing in you for your professional development, what are you doing to improve your professional skill sets?
1: You're listening to the Hospitality Leaders. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with leaders in the hospitality, event, and food service industries. Our conversations help you understand the state of the industry, the challenges we all face today, and what the future holds. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at hospitalityleaderspodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Upshift. Our on-demand staffing platform allows businesses to hire high-quality hourly workers with peace of mind. Find out more at Upshift.org. I am joined today by Travis T-Bone Talbot. He is the co-founder and lead consultant of the Hospitality Arts Group. Travis, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, an intro in you, the, the second people heard Travis T-Bone Talbot, they probably recognize you from a thousand different places. But would you mind starting off just maybe telling us how you got started in the industry and kind of where you are today?
0: Sure. Well, you know, I think the easiest thing to say, if you're in the industry, you'll know the term, but I'm a lifer. So this is all I've ever done. I started working in the industry. I wouldn't even call it working. I think nowadays they call it child labor. But I ended up working for my mom who was in the industry, you know, washing dishes, stocking the storeroom, you know, sweeping floors. And then eventually just stuck out. So I was supposed to go to school for veterinary medicine. That never happened. <laughs> you know, I saw the campus for 3 months before getting kicked out. And then I just basically thought I actually had a really good mentor who educated me and said, hey, hospitality isn't just a stepping stone, it can be a career. So I basically followed that advice my entire trajectory. So in hospitality, I think the only job that I have not done, and I mean literally from catering to cruise ships to hotels to nightclubs to concert venues, the only gig I've never done is accounting. Because there's always a bean counter somewhere in the organization. And then the only other job I've ever had besides hospitality is I took two years off at one point in time to go be a professional cowboy bull rider and rodeo clown. And um, that wasn't a good move. <laughs> I wasn't good at it. <laughs> so then I came back to hospitality. But so, yeah, so I've worked all the positions. I've been fortunate to work in all the different sectors. And then my last job, I was the executive vice president of a casino group in Canada. So 36 properties. Over a hundred plus food and beverage outlets. And then when COVID hit, I decided, you know what? It's maybe time for a change. It's maybe I've got something to contribute beyond just working in an organization and you know, kind of going through the motions and mechanics. And so I ended up starting an agency, a consulting agency with some colleagues and my brother. And so far, so now we we work primarily in resort environments, so ski resorts specifically, beach resorts smaller kind of boutique environments and we provide consulting and coaching in that in that regard so that's where i'm at now
1: well that is awesome and, and i think that's a you know a great story that we always try to try to highlight here right is that you know there is absolutely uh, available to everybody in the hospitality industry and 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 you can excel all the way to oh, you know yes. evp of anything and then all of a sudden covid really opened everybody's eyes to the fact that it's not just operating, right? You can influence the industry in a completely different way by branching out on your own or branching out with, with some of these other organizations. So that's awesome to see that you've made the jump and, and, and that you're excelling. You are continuing to excel there.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. And actually, I love that point, Chris. Is one, So COVID started out, we, my brother and I have this conversation all the time when we share it with some of our clients. COVID started out as a crisis and then it became camouflage. And by camouflage, I mean that it allowed operators and owners to make some moves that they were hesitant to make. And they could do it under the you know, guise of, well, we had to do this because COVID forced our hand, but really they were just smart business moves. And now we look at COVID as a catalyst and basically say, hey, it's really, it's really changed the entire landscape. The paradigms have changed. And I just love seeing so many people that I know that had so much talent that have gone solo but they're contributing more than they would be if they were just an employee. You know, I'm looking at everything from sommeliers to consulting chefs to even I know like some managers have branched out and they're doing social media consulting and management for operators. So it's, it's yeah, I think that there was some, some benefits from COVID and I know that's a, a tough pill to swallow is that I think a lot of individuals, a lot of really top talent out there that's maybe wasn't looking at hospitality as a lifelong career, have now found that they have a niche and they have something to contribute to the conversation. And I just think that's terrific.
1: That's outstanding. I think you're spot on. Obviously that's one trend that we have. And in the space that you're in right now, especially from a consulting perspective with the background that you have, what other kind of of trends are you seeing in the industry? You know, now that we're, we've got, hopefully we've got COVID behind us and we're we're pushing forward now.
0: Well, you know, there's always gonna be the hot trends in food and beverage. But I would say more of trends that have become mainstream or that have become things that are going to stay and be the mainstay as a result of COVID is, I think it's great that COVID kind of sparked the conversation or kind of poked people in the gray matter a little bit to talk about culture and leadership, right? So I think that one of the trends that we're seeing, I'm seeing in my travels, and it's a conversation I'm having with colleagues and almost every client is the value of Solid leadership, the value of acquiring and investing in top talents, and then how those individuals contribute to the word culture. And and I I say the word culture because I I think it's kind of diluted. It's almost like Subway Fresh nowadays, you know, (laughs) It's, it's, it's important. And culture is definitely a variable that needs to be explored and put into play. But I look at it as leadership and then culture to me is more or less the results of good leadership, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so we'll touch on this trend. Any other trends that you're seeing out there right now? Well, I see a lot of trends in terms
0: of operators are becoming operators again. I think prior to COVID, the whole industry was just coming so diluted. There was this because as you know, in hospitality, there's no real barrier to entry. You can open up a successful venture without having your MBA. You can open up a restaurant and be successful with one product. It's your mom's lasagna recipe. Uh, So one thing that I I think I see trending now is there's been a little bit of a reset in the industry and people are taking hospitality and taking F&B seriously again. It's not just what's the lowest common denominator in pricing that we can get away with? Hey, how many more burger joints can we fit into this community? How many more chains? And so I find that there's a really compelling change or trend out there where people are taking hospitality seriously. again, And I mean that from both the operator side, from the side of the professionals that decided to, to stick it out and have come through COVID and are, are still in the game. And even from the, the customer's perspective, like I think customers appreciate good service nowadays. They understand that there's There's a cost to running an operation, and everything can't just be a six ninety nine offering. So I think that that, that's a positive trend. Is there's been a reset, and restaurants, resorts, hotels, entertainment venues—they have all become businesses again, which is great to see, and not just these amenities that are out there, right?
1: Absolutely, and you know I think that reset was huge for the industry, and hopefully. You know, it goes it, it, with that reset. It helps to you know build that experience. You know that I think a lot of people may have been missing pre-COVID, or people trying to manufacture pre-COVID. I think maybe now it's more of a turn towards maybe getting that authentic experience back into the hospitality industry.
0: Right. Well, and so Chris, you and I will argue about the word experience. It's one of the things I always have a battle with uh, with clients when they say we want the experience to be, and our experience is different than our competitors. I'm like, okay, you're throwing that word around. <laughs> but what does it mean? Like, how are you defining it? What are the mechanics and stimulus behind it? What are the deliverables? So when you say our experience as a steakhouse, I'm like, okay, that's a concept. That is an experience. The experience is what's, what are your service standards? Like how are people, you know, are you doing tableside service? Do you have unique dishes that nobody else has? Do you have an environment in terms of music and lighting and decor that is very distinctive? So I, I always like to say to um to all of our clients and you know and all of them. my brother and i and our team always talk about this is experience is an emotion in my, in my opinion is you do all these things as an operator which are stimulus which are deliverables to your guests and at the end of it when they leave and go i think that place was awesome that's the experience right now that's an experience it's the emotion and the memory and the
1: willingness to come back absolutely and so if we're challenging words right you know i want to draw i want to <laughs> jump back to, to to a word that you threw out there you know and and maybe challenge that a bit and you know you, you you threw out as one of your trends the use of the word culture right right so you know i think that people love throwing that word around and you mentioned that uh you know when you see the trend of of culture leadership training development all of the rest of that what are you seeing from a cultural side? Are, are are people really using his lip service, or is there actual meat behind that? No, I, I got to admit,
0: unfortunately, I find it to be more of a PR initiative, or I find that it's a lot of times something that operators know that they have to have, but they can't define it. And a lot of times, they think it's about having a vision statement or sharing a vision statement with their front lines. It's a mission statement. It's core values. I would argue that it's none of those things. I think that those are value to have as an owner and as an operator that you need those as part of your business plan to kind of keep you on the rails and have a clear direction. But to me, culture is, it's not an event. It's not a set of of language. It's an activity. It's a behavior. And usually culture starts with owners and then it perpetuates to the leadership team. And then from there it's the glue that brings everybody together. And it's what forms the attitude of the operation. And it's how, once again, it's how, how does everybody feel that works in that particular venue or that particular organization? That to me is culture. And unfortunately, well, I say, fortunately, as a COVID, it has become at least a discussion point. Because like you were saying, Chris, is uh, for a while there, everything became so mechanical, everything became so, you know, everything was duplicated, replicated. There was just so much dilution of the industry, where now, especially with the resource pool being so shallow and people struggling to either acquire talent or retain it, they're they're, they're thinking about the word culture, right? They're thinking about what culture means to their business, but it's so rare that I run into someone that can define it, and then they can actually say, here's how we're making it happen. It's not just an intention. Here's how we've implemented it. Here's how it's resonating with our teams. Here's the feedback we got. Which is one of the things I always ask is, I'm like, oh, hey, great. You might have you have the good intention. I see you've got some nice language that your HR team helped you with, or, you know, your your PR firm. Now, what are the mechanics behind that? What are your activities that you're actually doing? And was one of those activities getting feedback from your team? And it's amazing how many times the conversation goes flat from there, right? So it's ama- how, how can you how can you nurture and foster a good culture or a positive culture if you haven't even asked the people that are that are subject to it, right? Or or the ones that are driving it.
1: It, Absolutely. And, and so, you know, I am, I am probably going to steal a little bit of free insulting advice here when I say this, but you know, if you're, if I am listening to this show right now and I'm in, and I'm in a leadership role and I am looking at my, you know, values card or, or up on the wall, whatever that sign is. And I'm realizing that, you know, maybe I don't have a ton of action behind it. Step one, talk to my team. Ask my team, Absolute. right? Step one, page one. Yeah. Love this it. Is the very first exercise is what do your
0: people want? But like, I, I see some organizations where they have been sincere about their intention and they are investing into the effort, but then it, it falls flat from there. And I'm like, okay, like, maybe your your team isn't all just looking for a big payday. Maybe they're not all looking for the crazy incentive programs that you're fearing as an owner operator. Maybe they're just looking for some acknowledgement. Maybe they're looking for some tweaks to the business model. Maybe they're looking for an opportunity to actually put their fingerprints on the business model and say, we should be doing this. And who knows better than the people that are engaging the guest every day, right? Or the people that are working in the kitchen or in housekeeping or, or whatever it may be is. So yeah, I say step one, first page, first day, sit your team down or provide some, some form or some portal so they can actually provide you with what they think. And actually, I have a great example of that. I was trying to help a friend of mine with some recruitment and retention, and he thought it all came down to dollars. Well, the guy across the street's paying twenty more, you know, $20,000 more a year than I can afford, on and on and on. I'm like, have you even talked to your managers to see if that's what they're looking for? So he went back to them, came back and said, hey, you know what? Good advice he says they weren't looking for more money, they understand the business model they understand our numbers because they're reading the p and ls, which is very rare by the way that an operator owner actually even lets the management team review the p ls and understand them right. is he says they were looking for more holiday, more time off they were looking for a few more incentives in terms of how they could reward the kitchen or back of house teams because they weren't making gratuities, but they understood that they couldn't increase the labor too much more, so they were hoping to find some other model or some other incentive to be able to offer on. But it all started with did you ask your people? Did you allow them to contribute to that conversation of culture? And I think that's an important element too is culture is an exchange. It's it's about an open dialogue. It's about of empowering others and it's about being able to listen to them and take their advice because a lot of times the, the guys that are on the front the people that are on the front line, they've got good insights. And it's unfortunate when there's a senior they don't have the ability to share those insights or to ask pertinent questions or challenge the status quo. Right. And that, that to me is also part of a healthy culture.
1: Absolutely. So, so we've got, you know, talk to the team, right? Absolutely. And then once you talk to them, you have to be prepared to do what they're telling you. Right. So, so, so that's two, you know, from an action step perspective, it sounds like three might be, you know, empower them to provide feedback and make decisions on a regular basis. So you're not having to to ask them, right? They're telling you. Yeah. What else can, what else can I do as a, as a leader to help drive actionable culture?
0: Well, I would say it has to be something that can be implemented. So it's not just a warm and fuzzy. It's also something that's concrete that everybody can refer to. So I actually worked with one client and they called it their playbook. They called it their people playbook. And so, yeah, they had their, their business mechanics plan where it was like, Hey, we're going to review the menu every three months. We're going to review sales data. We're going to sit down with marketing and talk about our outreach or how we're converting people from social media to actual assets and seats. So that's great. Everybody's got those plans. They've got those things on the calendar. Well, I I would suggest that they also need your culture plan and it has to be something tangible, written down, something that's shared with the entire organization. So they, all have a point of reference and they know what you committed to. And and, and I think that's a big part of it too, is if you're going to foster a healthy culture is you've got to be able to do course corrections. You've got to be able to be accountable. And part of being accountable is everybody knows what you're committing to. So if you said, Hey, within six months, we're going to get you guys a new incentive program outlined, or, Hey, within three months, we're going to fix all the broken kitchen equipment because we know how hard that is on the team. All that stuff has to be documented memorialized and then shared. So I would say you have to have a business plan. If you're if you're genuinely intent on nurturing a, a positive culture, it's got to be something tangible and there's got to be something behind it saying we are going to do a b and c by this date.
1: I have always been a proponent of the fact that you know you can set a culture all you want, but it is your leaders that drive the culture. Yes. You know, what am I doing actionably for my leaders, right? To to make sure that this culture is proliferated throughout my my organization.
0: I, that's a good point. I gotta tell you, is I was super fortunate when, and when I was coming up through the industry that I worked for some amazing individuals. And not only were they good people and solid operators, but one of the things I look back on and one of the lessons that I gleaned was they invested in their leaders, their leadership team, right? They invested in their managers. So I was you know, speaking from a personal perspective, my training, when I first started, you know, as a manager, I'm talking junior manager, the guy that gets all the worst shifts, Sunday morning brunch, (laughs) you know, with the clopins all the time is that they paid for training. And then, so I mean, by training is I got to go and take school courses at schools or night classes or whatever it'd be. And they would pay for it. They would reimburse me for it. I literally had to go through a training program. And I mean, like, Working at the deli on the corner was a week worth of training. You had to work in the kitchen so you understood how the kitchen worked. You had to work the dish pits. You understood how hard that role was. You had to shadow the top server and then you had to sit down and with the chef and write a menu knowledge kind of test. All those things have gone to the wayside. And I heard the term a while ago called the magic set of keys. And so operators and owners will spend so much time screening candidates to think, you know, to find out whether they're a fit, an appropriate fit. And then when the person signs on and after they've gone through the whole negotiation process, they hand them a set of keys. They show them where the fire, you know, the fire pull stations are. They give them the codes to the alarms and then that's it, man. Right. And it's like, there's no more training. There's no more. And actually I don't even like the word training. There's no more development. There's no more investment in those individuals. And I mean, from a financial perspective, I mean, from a development perspective, and even from you know, consideration, like, how do you set this person up for success, right? So I think that's first and foremost is there's value and there's ROI and what I call ROE, return on effort, for owners and operators when they hire a candidate who becomes, then becomes one of their leaders, which is basically you're, you're entrusting them with your business and you're relying on them to better the business. You've got to invest in them. Now, from the leadership perspective, so let's say an individual signs on with an organization, they're intent on you know nurturing a, a solid culture and they're willing to invest in that individual. I would say the individual then has some accountability to better themselves, right? And I like to have like you know conversation with chefs and with managers and directors a lot of times, and saying, hey, okay, so the organization's investing in you for your professional development. What are you doing to improve your professional skill sets? And there's so much access these days to information, to resources, to you know for lack of a better word, self-help. like from YouTube classes to the master classes online, where you can you can take it you can go get training from Thomas Keller online you know right. nowadays. Like could you imagine all the poor people that have worked for Thomas Keller doing stages over the years that had to do you know three months for free living in a closet somewhere, and now they can just get online, <laughs> pay three hundred bucks and they get the same training, right? And then like, there's really cool tools out there too. Like uh, there's an app called Blinkist where right. basically it's, a, you know, it gives you book synopsis in a 15 minute digestible kind of format. So I always ask, especially if I'm, I'm talking to a colleague or to, you know, the frontline guys when they're saying, Hey, like, how do I ask for more money or how do I get the skill sets or where do I, like, it's out there, man. And you, the more that you invest in yourself, the more you're increasing your stock value overall. So if you leave that organization, if you transfer to another, another company, if you go out on your own and venture out on your own, your worth is a lot more because you've increased your stock value, right? So but that's part of culture. It's depressing sometimes if, if an owner, an operator doesn't invest in their leaders who are the glue to their business, who are the ones that are really activating culture, then that person may not have the, you know, the motivation to, to better themselves and bring more to the table.
1: Absolutely. Now, Travis, one of the things I am picking up here, and and very few people are this consistent about u- utilizing terminology, but you have consistently used the word leader, and and yes. not interchanged it with manager. And usually, during the course of any interview, most people use those two words interchangeably. Why are they not interchangeable for you?
0: Well, to me, a manager is is it, I think it dilutes the role. I think it, it dilutes the the individual, or it dilutes their value. To me, a manager is a, 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 someone that's either very junior who's just stepped up from let's say taking a frontline server's position or come out from the back of the house or has you know been elevated from housekeeping into a to a management role. Management to me usually means someone in training, right now and they're managing processes, they're learning mechanics, they're learning the functions of the business where everything else after they've had that initial training is they're now their leaders. so if you're responsible for engaging with guests, if you're responsible for writing a schedule, if you're responsible for any kind of scenario where you're interacting with other people, you're a leader in my books, you're providing leadership. And now when it comes to a general manager, even even at that level, I prefer the word, and I'm actually, you see a lot of it in the resort world is they call them SLTs, you know, senior leadership team, right? So a team member from the senior leadership. I love that for everything that it has in terms of what it what it means what it conveys in terms of culture and then the punch you know it packs so that person isn't just writing my schedule that person is in control of my life to some extent like i rely on that person to make sure that my work environment is frictionless that the drama is kept to a minimum i rely on them to understand my personal needs that i need thursdays off because i'm taking a class that i have family obligations so There's a lot to be said about diluting the role or or minimizing it to to say you're managing, right? Because managing to me is like that's you manage inventory, you don't manage people, right? You lead people, and you you know the mechanics of the business. That's what you're managing in terms of like making sure you place your liquor order on on Sunday before you know the desk order desk closes. That's management. Leadership is everything else that you do that affects people, you know, and motivates them.
1: Well, And I could agree with you more. And I hope that I hope that owners and executives are listening to this because, you know, all of the things that people talk about routinely about what's causing a lot of the resignation or, or the, the departure from hospitality. Those are functions of leadership. And, and if you invest Absolutely. in your, you know, if you invest in your leaders, you know, you can you can hedge against that, not only hedge against that, but you can leverage what you have to build an amazing team.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? There's organizations out there. So I don't want to paint the whole industry as everything being toxic and hostile. I think the media did it. I think the media did enough of that when during the COVID times, but I know of tons of great examples of organizations that they, they make leadership, their marketing program, they make it their cultural component and they know that it translates into sales. And they also know that it actually minimizes costs because We all know there's a cost to turnover. We know there's a cost to running with a deficit of manpower. So I know tons of organizations that that is their game is we are going to spend all of our money in marketing. Not in marketing, sorry, we're going to spend all of our money into developing people who in turn are going to promote a healthy culture. And then they don't need to buy, like, there's people out there, you know there's obviously there's a there's a shortage in the industry I'm not denying that. But I know a lot, of, a lot of operators that haven't experienced any issues pre-COVID, po- during COVID, post-COVID, because they've got their game together and they've really invested in their leaders and their leaders are making it happen,
1: right? Absolutely. And, and I think you nailed it, right? I mean, this is an amazing industry. I mean, it's it, it can take you anywhere. You can do yes. just about anything you want to do. It's a phenomenal industry. The bad actors get press and all of the wonderful people who are doing everything they're supposed to be doing out there are the ones that need to start speaking up more. And, and those are the, the organizations you need to engage with because there are way more of them than the ones that are not capitalizing and not doing it right right now.
0: All right. Well, unfortunately you nailed it though. It's kind of like the news philosophy of the bleeds of leads, right? Like there's so many people that I talk to that they think that their their understanding, if they didn't come from hospitality, their understanding of everything in hospitality is Gordon Ramsay. And I'm like, oh man, like that's not the world. Like, yeah, there's places like that, don't get me wrong. But it's not reflective of the entire industry. There's so many good operators. Then that's actually why Christian Yellow, one of the reasons I love hospitality and one of the reasons. Or one of the ways I try to promote it to people that are, you know, on the fence about whether to enter the industry or what it can do for them. It's beyond just saying, hey, I can bartend on a Friday night and you know make $150 in tips in my pocket. It's like, hey, listen, this is the best industry of anyone that I know of that you should have a flexible schedule, that you can pick and choose your hours. You can work evenings or weekends or whenever you've got the opportunity. It can be your side hustle that actually provides an awesome income. It can it can fund all your other hobbies, passions, and initiatives, and in education. Like, I can't tell you how many people I've worked with over the years that are now, you know, they got their master's and their PhDs that are doctors. And hospitality enabled them to do that, right? And... The skill sets that you learn in hospitality, if you, if you go through the whole hierarchy, let's say you're in a hotel organization, you can learn everything. They'll put you in the accounting department. They'll put you in the HR department. You can spend time in marketing and sales. Like Any profession that you want to follow, any pursuit that you have passion for, you can support that by being a part of the hospitality industry. Or the hospitality industry can make that happen for you. right? So I like to say it's one of the best jobs in the world where you get paid to go to school
1: right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, Travis, as we're, as we're kind of wrapping this up here, you know, one of the things I always like to ask, and I'm sure you've got a wealth of this, but what kind of advice are you giving to leaders as they're entering the hospitality space these days?
0: Well, I'll I'll circle back to what we talked about earlier is I think that the best leaders are the ones that invest in themselves. Don't wait for someone else to have to invest in you before, you can you know advance your skill sets before you can you know add to your wealth of knowledge. Once again, there's just so much information. Like for instance, right now, I like to think that I'm pretty good at the game we're doing, and I like to think that I've paid my dues and I've built up some scar tissue and I've gained some wisdom along the way. But man, I'm not, I'm not I'm not sitting on my hands. So a couple of people on our team we've now signed up for. Are you familiar with Ogilvy? Yes. Yeah. So Ogilvy is one of the top marketing advertising agencies in the world while well, we are now registered a few of our team members in their behavioral science course to say hey like, this is how we should be framing this conversation this is how we should be changing our language in terms of marketing so it's not a marketing course it's not an advertising course it's a course in understanding psychology and sociology and like I, I know once again i can do it on my own time i can do it when i'm sitting in the airports i can do it when i'm you know in the hotel and you know sitting you know sitting on the ski hill kind of thing in the chair so my advice to guys or people i always say guys sorry <laughs> to people that are looking to become senior you know, senior leaders and get paid well for their contributions and their participation is they still have a bit of accountability in bettering themselves right and then Absolutely. other than that my advice was it would be if you're in the industry or you're looking to enter the industry and you're maybe let's say in the negotiation phase ask the tough questions like you are entitled as a candidate to have a healthy dialogue. And one of the reasons I find that there's maybe the resource pool is so shallow these days is that candidates are interviewing employers. (laughs) <laughs> right. So they're not just going out there and negotiating for the extra $2 an hour, the extra 20 grand a year, the extra week of paid vacations. Those are probably part of the conversation, but they're also in like, you know, we got platforms between open table, social media, Glassdoor, Indeed, like employees, current, past, potential. Like you you see people even writing reviews on how their interviews went. Right. So Employer branding is a big deal these days and employees top talent is interviewing organizations. So I think that if you're a candidate and you're engaged in in the conversation about, you know, your benefits package or your your compensation package, ask the hard questions, all right, rather than getting into that role and finding out the hard way that it, you know, it wasn't what you expected or you didn't ask a few questions and now you found out the wrong answers once you were, you know, you immersed in the role. And it's, and it's also not fair to the employer, to be honest, right? So if you didn't ask the questions that were really, you know, burrs under your saddle and then it didn't get resolved and then you walk away from that role, you've, you've done a big disservice to the employer who may have been completely authentic, transparent and intended on really having a good fit and, and, and offering you a good role. But, you know, just, you didn't ask enough questions or the right questions. And then you then you leave them high and dry, which is unfortunate. So yeah, I would say had the dialogue before you take the gig, right?
1: Absolutely. And that is phenomenal advice. I I can tell you in my career, I wish I would have asked a few more hard questions and I wish I would have negotiated a little bit better on a couple of these jobs.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know what? And I can say, because we you know we learned this lesson from our mom, my brother and I, that was a lesson we learned early on. So I I I can only think actually here's The only two bad working environments I've ever had, or the only two bad jobs I've ever had was the restaurants and nightclubs I opened on my own, (laughs) right? (laughs) Is, you know, between ignorance and arrogance and all that, those were the worst jobs I had, but because I did have that ability or that skill set or that confidence that was instilled by my mom is I've always worked for good people. And it's because the conversation has always been direct, healthy. And very explorative right on the up front. So I've never had i I've never worked for a bad person or I never I've never had a bad employer.
1: That is a no worse employer than yourself, I guess. I was but- terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Travis, I think anybody who listened today is, is walking away with a list of actionable steps, you know, to make culture more than a buzzword within their organization and, and to really go back and do a gut check on. On what they're doing here, you know, I think we've got some phenomenal advice for anybody coming into the industry. And uh, you know, I hope that anybody who heard something here today and wants to find out a little bit more is is going to track you down and, and pick your brain sure. a little bit more about this. So, if they want to do that, Travis, how are they getting a hold of you to have these conversations?
0: Well, we have, like I said, the, the business that we're focused on right now is hospitalityarts.group. So you can reach us through the website. On social media, I think I'm on almost every single platform except for <laughs> TikTok, which I'm working on. My okay. dance moves, I'm getting some you know, some classes and dance, but I'm on every almost every social platform under T-Bone Talbot. And then I'm also, like everybody else, I'm on LinkedIn under Travis Talbot. And it's actually one of my personal missions is to help whoever needs help. So that's also why I'm in consulting. So I'm pretty good at responding to everybody. No matter what vehicle they, they use to get a hold of me. And then actually, you know, the one that segues into a good thing is next month, we are about to launch, in addition to our consulting, which is more or less for bigger operators, larger scale projects, corporations, and stuff, is we're also launching an online coaching platform. So that if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, you can pay by the phone call, you can pay by the bundles of services, you can pay by the email so that you're not afraid to reach out, get some advice, get some some insight without having to sign on a consultant, you know, that's usually a bigger dollar value. And then back to our discussion about culture is part of our online coaching is also going to be for executives. And the only reason I say that is because a lot of executives that we've worked with, obviously have acquired their roles through successes and through hard work, diligence and tenure, but they've may they may have come from another sector. They may have come from a different industry. And now they're coming in to better the business, but they may not necessarily have all of the insights and know all the, you know, all the vernacular and stuff of food and beverage or hospitality. So we're going to be able to provide some services to them as well. And culture would be a big part of that conversation is, do you understand, let's say you came from an accounting background, you, you were working at Deloitte and Touche for years, and now you're coming to help an organization or a business, you know, get their, get them up on their feet and help them grow, is you may not understand how the kitchen operates. And you may not understand the, the actual culture of hospitality is different than an office culture, right? Environment, let's use the word environment. So. we're we're hoping that we can provide some insight and some coaching in that regard to executives to, you know, help them invest into leadership leaders and help them nurture a culture that's positive because it's, they may just not have that exposure to that, that environment. Right. So, yeah.
1: Well, I think that's phenomenal. You know, you're clearly living your advice. I mean, you know, you're creating a mechanism and a method for people to be able to invest in themselves. And I think that is absolutely awesome. and, And I can't wait to see how many people take advantage of that. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. No problem, Travis. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. And thanks for taking the time today. Right on Chris. I appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Thank you for listening. And we hope you found this episode insightful. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review. You can find more information and links to all the resources mentioned in today's episode at hospitalityleaderspodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Upshift. Our on-demand staffing platform allows businesses to hire high-quality hourly workers with peace of mind. Find out more at upshift.org.